Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy. And today we're going to be talking about UFC 283, Glover Teixeira versus Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill for the UFC vacant light heavyweight title going down this Saturday night. This Saturday night, live in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, from the Genesua Arena. And, I mean, what a main event. What a light heavyweight title fight. And, I mean, let's not even bullshit. Let's not even beat around the bush. Let's just get right down to business. Because in the main event, for the vacant belt, we got the former champion, the future Hall of Famer, Glover Teixeira. Fighting in Brazil, he's 33-8. and eight taking on Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill, who they say he's 11-1, and one, but he's actually 12-1 and because between you and me, he definitely knocked out Clitz and Abreu in the first round. I don't care how much weed he was smoking uh, for that. You can't take that win away from him. That was, uh, that was definitely a win. So, yeah, but anyways, these two are fighting for the vacant belt, you know, initially. I mean, a lot of, a lot of crazy stuff went down. You had Jan Blahovic versus... Magomed Ankaliev fighting for the vacant title initially because Yuri Prohaska had that unfortunate injury. And ironically enough, Magomed and Jan go to a controversial draw. So, you know, you can't turn either of those guys around after a five-round fight within a month. And what better opportunity to go to Brazil and headline with the light heavyweight title fight. So I'm just so excited and just these two guys specifically that we have fighting for the belt. I mean, I couldn't think of better representations of the sport and of the division. I mean, with Glover Teixeira, most submissions in the history of the light heavyweight division. And, and he's a guy that's been paying his dues for a very, very long time. I mean, you guys heard about the visa issues back in the day when he couldn't even come into the UFC and you know he was chuck liddell's main training partner he was they were always saying like hey like this guy could be you know the heir to the throne of chuck and he couldn't get into the ufc for a while because of those visa issues so he had to build up his career in brazil and then when he finally came to the ufc i mean and it, it was in 2012 i mean he took he took the ufc by storm man and was going out there beating legends you know beating guys like rampage jackson rashad evans Ryan Bader at the time wasn't a legend, but Ryan Bader has gone on to become, you know, a two division champ in Bellator. So that that's a win that aged really, really well, you know, beat the Jared Cannoneers, the Ovin St. Preux, who Jamal also beat. But it wasn't until that that title run where, you know, after his loss to Corey Anderson in Brazil, like this common theme would happen in all these Glover fights. You know, when he fought Carl Roberson, when he fought Iwan Kutalaba, uh, even when he fought Tiago Mahetta Santos, where, like, he'd get rocked really badly in these fights, but the kind of heart, the kind of determination, the kind of just willingness to, to overcome adversity and to, you know, finish out his goal, he'd be on, you know, on the brink of unconsciousness, and then he'd come out and tap these guys out. So can never question the heart and the determination of a guy like Glover Teixeira and you just have to give him so much credit because I don't think people realize he's 43 years old he's going to turn 44 this year so and and not only that but the fact that he already won the belt once in his 40s and he's got the, he's got a chance to become a two-time world champ in his 40s that's absolutely unheard of and it just speaks volumes to 
obviously we talked about his determination, his heart, and you know what kind of man he is in terms of a competitor. But what about outside the gym? This is a guy, if you watch the countdown, he's waking up early in the morning. Doesn't matter what the temperature is outside. He's taking his ice bath. So he's, he's going into his sauna. He's doing his cold plunges. He's doing everything. So like this is a guy that truly takes care of his body. And that's why he's able to compete at the highest level at such an advanced, mature age of 43 years old. I mean, it's unheard of, you know? And I know that there's been some guys that have won belts in their 40s, whether I believe Randy Couture back in the day. And I'm curious what age Fabricio Wardoom won his belt. But to possibly become a two-time champ in your 40s, like, dude, see, I'm 33 right now, right? And Glover's 43. It's just inspiring to know that 10 years from now, I can achieve some form of greatness. So I'm super inspired by Glover Teixeira, not to mention the guy's got one hitter quitter on the feet. I mean, when he first came into the UFC, a lot of people were calling him like a Mike Tyson kind of guy, the way he was going out there and starching people. But is jujitsu nowadays where maybe the durability isn't where it once was? You can always fall back on that just highly credentialed black belt. And you've seen whether it was back in the day against Kyle Kingsbury with that arm triangle, that nasty guillotine he had over James Tahuna, where he trapped James Tahuna's arm with his leg to the point where, you know, James Tahuna couldn't even fight the hands on the guillotine. So it was just absolutely nasty. And in 2014, Glover already fought for the belt for the first time against the great John Jones. Didn't go his way. But to pick yourself back up, that happened in 2014. And to make it to a title fight all the way fast forward to 2021 and beat Jan Blahovich the way he did, got a quick tap out of Jan Blahovich out of Rockingham with a nasty left hook. I mean, like, I don't know what other positive things I can say about such an inspirational figure in the sport like Glover Teixeira. Then the following fight, he puts on the fight of the year with Yuri Prohaska, man. I mean, the Yuri Prohaska and Glover fight, it's not just the best fight of 2022. It's one of the best fights of all time. Like that fight was just absolutely sensational. So it's a no brainer coming off of that. Give this guy another title fight, give it to him in Brazil and it could possibly be a send off. And he's got a, a tough customer in front of him in Jamal Hill, who someone that I've taken note of from the day he entered the UFC's octagon to now, you know, being a first time UFC title challenger. And when he first came into the octagon, you know, when he made his debut against Darko Stosic, the reason that he stood out so much now, granted, he stood out on contender series, but sometimes you guys have seen it many times. Dudes will perform a certain way on contender series, but when they get to the UFC, it doesn't quite translate. And boy, did it translate for Jamal Hill when he got to the UFC because he goes out there in his UFC debut against Darko Stosic, who Darko might have not had the best UFC record, but Darko always put up a tough fight, win, lose, or draw. So he's a tough out, you know? Uh, and Jamal goes out there against Darko in his UFC debut. And this dude, we're not talking about flyweight right now. We're talking about light heavyweight. We're talking about the big boys. He attempted 233 significant strikes and landed over 100 of them in a three-round fight at 205 pounds. Right away, that stood out. To take it a step further, he got taken down six times in that fight against Darko Stosic. And a lot of people hold that against him. They say, oh my God, he got taken down six times. But what they failed to mention is that he got back up 
six times, which reminds me of a great name, Jose Aldo. You might have heard of him. And one of the things that made Jose Aldo so great, one of the many things that made Jose Aldo so great was that when people would take him down, he would pop right back up. And that's what that's a great quality Jamal Hill has. Like we're going to talk about the Tiago Maheta fight where you got taken down six times as well. No one can establish top control on this guy. When they take him down, he's popping back up like a cat. He's not freaking out when he gets in bad positions. He's got incredible composure. His defense is there. And, you know, it doesn't hurt to, you know, be a, an athletic specimen too. And, man, he's a very solid guy. So right off the bat, you see a guy in their debut at light heavyweight, land over 100 significant strikes, get back up from six takedowns, and it didn't slow down his output at all. So right then and there, I was like, okay, like, yeah, this is a guy that we need to keep our eyes on. Just bottom line. Next fight, goes in there with Klitz and Abreu. You know, lands two knockdowns in under two minutes, right? Gets him out of there right away. And, like, Klitson was a guy that went the distance with Magomed and Khalif. Like, Klitson was known for being a durable guy until the night that he fought Jamal Hill. After that, only two fights deep into his UFC career, he's already in a co-main event with UF with former title challenger Ovin St. Preux. Ovin St. Preux is a guy that went five rounds with John Jones. Ovin St. Preux has the second most submissions in the history of the division, right behind Glover Teixeira. Uh, Glover Teixeira actually submitted uh, Ovin St. Preux back in the day, and there wasn't any, you know. Oh man, I've only had two fights inside the octagon. Now I'm in a co-main event. Maybe I'm not quite ready. I mean, this guy shined in his big moment, went out there, easily beat Ovin St. Pru. So then they gave him the Paul Craig fight. And I think that that was a very, very valuable lesson for Hill. I mean, the fact that you guys remember how much shit they were talking to each other before the fight. They were really going after each other. And Hill, in my opinion, was overconfident, you know. Paul Craig pulled guard. Jamal followed him into his guard. He wanted to show that, hey, like that John Jones quality where I can beat you at your own game. And unfortunately, uh, it didn't work out for him that night. But but one thing that I do take away from that fight, look, that fight, only, that fight lasted less than two minutes. But I took a lot out of that, actually. I took that, like, what happened when, when Paul Craig put the triangle choke on Ankalaev with one second left in the fight? Ankalaev tapped right away. What happened when Paul Craig took a beating against Nikita Krylov and then threw the triangle choke on him, tapped him right away? What happened when Paul Craig was in there with Kennedy, you know, two grueling rounds, and then the third round slaps on that triangle, got the instant tap? What happened when uh, when uh, Paul Craig threw up the triangle and got the armbar against Jamal Hill? There was no tap. Jamal Hill said... If you're going to break my arm, I'm going to hit you with my broken arm. Those are the signs I look for when I'm trying to scout a future world champion. Like this guy, like when you saw the way his arm was broken in that fight, like no one would have held it against him if he tapped. No one would have held it against him if he used his other arm to tap or if he verbally tapped. He's like, yo, okay, live to fight another day. This dude was trying to punch Paul Craig with his broken arm. Like, that means that he's literally willing. I, I don't like talking about the willing to die in their stuff anymore because after, you know, Damar Hamlin, shout out to him, man. What an inspiration. You know, it just brings a lot of, it just lets you know that you just can't talk like that because 
these guys really are risking death in there. So, but what I am trying to say is Jamal Hill is willing to go to the bitter end, and it's going to take a lot more than a broken arm to stop this man. I mean, he was willing to keep fighting. The ref just said, hey, enough is enough. Like, live to fight another day. So thank God to the ref for that. It humbled Jamal. Then he goes out there against Jimmy Crew. Like, I know Jimmy Crew has lost some fights, won some fights, whatever, but no one's ever handled Jimmy Crew like that. Drop him twice in under a minute and starch him that way, break his face. Like, goddamn. Like, I know Johnny Walker, you know, he's taking some L's as well, but who the hell has ever starched Johnny Walker like that? And then the Tiago Santos fight, what you got to understand about that is maybe Tiago Santos wasn't on the best leg of his career, but a lot of the fights he was having were close fights. The John Jones fight, some people actually thought that Tiago Santos beat John Jones. Now, I'm not one of those people. But some people think that the Alexander Rockage fight was a very close fight. Tiago Santos fought Magomed and Khalif, and only one person got dropped in that fight, and it wasn't Tiago Santos. But when Jamal went in there with Tiago Santos, I mean, Tiago, who is known for having some of the most knockouts in um, middleweight and light heavyweight, he wanted no part of the stand-up, man. He, he turned into a wrestler against Jamal Hill. He felt his presence in there and was like, fuck this. He was down to stand with Magomed. He was down to stand with Alexander Rakic. He was also down to stand with John Jones and Glover. He was not down to stand with Jamal Hill. And Jamal had to dig deep in that fight and back to six takedowns. Jamal got taken down six times. Guess what? He popped back up six times again, just like the great Jose Aldo. So... I think that at this point, he's had the proper experience and seasoning to to get to this, you know, to be ready for this big opportunity against Glover Teixeira. And there's questions about, you know, people saying that, well, all Glover needs to do is take him down one time and the fight will be over shortly after. I disagree. I mean, I think, it, I, I think if that happens, then A, props Glover. Glo even if Glover gets knocked out in the first punch, He's still the he's still the man. You can't you can't discredit Glover and what he's accomplished and what he's attempting to accomplish here. Being forty three years old, trying to get your second belt in your forties, like all respect, man. But I think that some of these guys they get broken right away when they get taken down by Glover. They feel his pressure. They know about his past history with how many how many guys he's tapped out. And they're broken when they get there. And I don't think that Jamal Hill can be broken mentally. I think you can break his limb. I think that possibly you can choke him unconscious. The thing is, if you want to win against him, you have to break his limb. You have to choke him unconscious. You have to knock him out. You have to put him out. Because if Jamal Hill is not severely compromised, Jamal Hill is going to fight you to the bitter end. I mean, they're going to go eyeball to eyeball and see who blinks first. And I truly believe that Jamal Hill can overcome the adversity. I think he gets taken down. I think he pops right back up. Worst case scenario, he gets in full mount. I think he can survive, create some kind of scramble, get back up to his feet. And from there, it's not going to be a situation where, like, oh, man, I just had to work so hard to get back up to my feet. Now I'm going to take a little rest. I'm going to take a little break. I'm going to huff and puff. And then, you know, my, my confidence is going to diminish. That's where Glover can take over. That's where the takedowns start to come a little easier. I don't think it's going to be that situation. I think when Jamal gets back up, that's when he's going to start lighting Glover up. And I think the variety of strikes that Jamal brings to the table, fights behind his jab, very long jab, 80-inch reach, 6'4". 
and the arsenal there, that straight left from the southpaw stance, the step through knees, the elbows, the uppercuts, um, just the volume. Like, like one thing I've always talked about is he's got the one hitter quitter of like a Francis and Gannon as Johnny Walker, as Jimmy crew, but then he's got the output of a little guy. And th those are qualities you don't often see at 205 pounds. And that mixed in with the fact that this guy is willing to let you break his arm for glory and he'll keep trying to fight. I feel like those are the ingredients for a future world champion. So he's got the mindset. He's got the skills. He's got the heart. Like, I really think it's his time. And, and with Glover, you know, you don't want to disrespect a legend. And I would never disrespect Glover. And if Glover gets this belt, I can't feel nothing but happiness for him, you know, to achieve such heights again at this age. But what I really think is going to happen, y'all, is that I think Jamal's going to put the icing on the cake here, man. I mean, you look at that Yuri Prohaska fight, which was not, like I said earlier, not only the fight of 2022, but one of the best fights we've ever seen in all our years watching the sport. Glover had Yuri exactly where he wanted him on multiple occasions. And I'm not going to sit here and discredit Yuri's jujitsu credentials. I don't know what they are. Maybe he's a blue belt. I know he's, I know his MMA game. It's, it's a completely different sport, but he was able to escape fully locked in arm triangles. That escape he did on that arm triangle was absolutely disgusting. And people like to talk about how, well, the reason Glover lost that fight was because he went for a guillotine choke. And I think that that is categorically false to a point that doesn't really show or, or, or give a proper assessment of exactly what happened because, okay, did he go for a guillotine and fail on that guillotine? Yes. But like a minute later, Glover was on top of Yuri. So like, I feel like the guillotine talk is like obsolete. Like it doesn't mean shit. It'd be one thing if he went for that guillotine and then two seconds later, you know, he, he got tapped out, but that's not what happened guys. He went for the guillotine a minute later, Glover's on top exactly where he wants to be. And then Yuri was able to create a scramble, create a reversal. And when he got on top, I mean, we can blame it on fatigue. You know, Glover, that, that was a serious war. There was not much resistance on that tap from Glover. So, you know, and it's funny because I went on my show and I said, look, there's one outcome we can agree that's not going to happen. And, you know, you know Yuri's not going to tap out Glover. And I had Brett Apley on my show and he's like, you never know. And guess what? You never fucking know, right? So I'm not sitting here saying that that Jamal's going to come out here and tap out Glover. But what I am saying is I think that Jamal can overcome the bad spots, get back up to his feet where he's got the speed advantage, where he's got just the, the variety and arsenal advantage. He's got the length, the reach, the confidence. Um, and, and Glover can crack too, of course. You know, sets up his jab, overhand rides, left hooks, uppercuts, you know decent boxing for mma just a tad bit slower and is there to be rocked badly and you might be able to overcome being hurt against carl roberson or iwan kutalaba i'm just not convinced that you can overcome being rocked by jamal hill he knows how to close the show and i think he will close the show and come saturday night in rio de janeiro brazil I think we're looking at a new light heavyweight champion named Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill. So I bet him at minus 120. I believe it'll close around minus 150, maybe a little bit more than that. Um, and I get it. Everybody loves Glover. Rightfully so. I love Glover too. 
but it's just business. And uh, yeah, I'm going to go with a guy who three years ago I was saying was going to fight for a belt to win the belt. You know, I'm not going to backtrack now. You know, in this game, you have your money trains. You know, back in the day, the Whitakers, you know, the, the Max Holloways, the Volkanovsky, this and that. But like nowadays, it's all about the Jamal Hills, the Cheeto Veras, the Bilal Muhammads. You bet these guys long term, you're going to be on the right side of the coin, assuming the prices are nice and the price is very nice. It's not like I'm out here laying minus 300 uh, on Jamal in this spot. On this spot, I'd bet him at, you know, basically pick him odds against anyone on the light heavyweight roster. So, yeah, uh, I'm going with Jamal to be the brand new, the and new light heavyweight champion of the world. And I'm just bummed that John Jones isn't in this weight class anymore because. The, the issue I had was that, you know, Jones would be in these fights and he'd have, you know, 10-inch reach advantages over everyone. He'd have five-inch height advantages over everyone. And now that that new era of light heavyweights have emerged, you know, the Magomed Ankleves, the Jamal Hills, the Rockages, uh, all these guys, even Reyes when he first came, when he was first emerging, not now, now he's damaged goods, but when he was first emerging, like even Johnny Walker when he first came onto the scene, like, it was cool to see these guys that could actually match John Jones on physicality. And it's just a shame we never got to see those fights. And quite honestly, I'm uh I'm bummed about um this Gon versus Jones fight. Like it's gonna be an it might be a sparring match, it might be good, but like it sucks that you can't sit here and say that this the winner is going to be the baddest man on the planet because francis is the baddest man on the planet and i wanted to see what would have happened if francis touched jones on the chin i want to see how jones would react real quick i have a question here my buddy's asking me what happened to the vids on your channel they're still there it's just that youtube changed their shit around so they have two little sections now one called videos and one called live so they moved all my stuff to the live section because i go live and it used to be under the video, so it was like one of those, it was just kind of annoying on their part, kind of confusing. So if you're looking for my breakdowns, just click live instead of uh, videos, and, and you'll see them there. But back to this, um, yeah, I mean, let's see what y'all are saying about this. About this, uh, Colby Chaos is saying, crazy after absorbing 97 significant strikes and two knockdowns from Gus at age 38, Glover goes 6-1 and one and wins the title. Exactly. It's an anomaly. It's a... Uh, just credit to his determination, to his will to win, to, you know, the guy had a dream. And, you know, yesterday was MLK MLK Day, or not yesterday, two days ago was MLK Day. And you guys know I have a dream. And Glover had a dream. So, you know, it's just, you know, the only, the only true limits are the limits of your psychology. And, and Glover's mindset is just elite elite on levels unknown to man right so glover's amazing um it's just how many times can you keep doing that right and i see a lot of people in the chat picking glover and i understand why you've seen him win a belt before you've seen him in the ufc since 2012 like we grew up watching this guy we love this guy so i get it and sometimes when you haven't seen someone reach those heights it's hard to picture it happening but you got to remember every champion was once a contender and every contender was once a prospect and every prospect was once an amateur fighter. So I think it's uh, Jamal Hill's time and new. And I think he's going to knock out the great Glover Teixeira. And I think he's going to show Glover Teixeira the respect he deserves. I don't think he, I don't, you know, Jamal's got a good head on his shoulders. And you know, I think that he'll send off the legend 
in proper fashion. So, and new Jamal Hill, and I bet it to win two units. Now, real quick, before we talk about the co-main event, I want to talk about today's sponsor of half the battle. So huge shout out to Brett Apley with daily fan MMA who came out here and sponsored today's episode of half the battle. So if y'all have ever been curious to try out Brett Apley's services, we got a great deal here where you don't have to pay shit and you get his next two events for free just to check it out. I mean, that's how confident Brett is that you're going to get something out of his content that he's literally letting you just come out here. If you're a fan of half the battle, use the promo code I'm about to give you. You go to dailyfanmma.com slash BFP and you're going to get the next two events for free. No questions asked. So basically, we have an awesome promo this week with dailyfanmma.com, which is one of the best DraftKings MMA and gambling content sites in the industry. Many of you probably know Brett Apley, who runs the site, and I've known Brett Apley a very, very long time, and he's someone I truly vouch for, and I respect him for many reasons. He's a great guy, but I respect him in terms of the knowledge of the game because me and him can have an intense conversation where I'm on one side, he's on the other side. None of us are going to sway each other. This guy doesn't get away from his process, and I respect his process very very much and there's a reason why his subscribers have won you know upwards of two million dollars on you know fantasy sports like DraftKings, like price picks or or betting um so for a limited time half the battle listeners can get free access to mma premium content on dailyfanmma.com slash bfp all you got to do is use the promo code 283 free that's it 283 free just go to dailyfanmma.com slash BFB and you're going to get free access to both UFC 283 and UFC Vegas 68 content, which is the event after that. So that includes full written breakdowns of every fight on the DraftKings slate, premium podcast rankings, projections, and more. Plus, if you're feeling frisky and you want, you can also select the lineup optimizer package that comes completely free as well. So that allows you to spit up you know, up to 300 DraftKings lineups at the click of a button. And it comes with built in. It comes built in with Brett's fighter and ownership projections as well. Brett and daily fan just crossed $2 million in subscriber winnings. So this is not just talk and their tools and information are used by pros and beginners alike. And all they want to do is help you compete against the best and hopefully take home that six figure score. So there's literally no reason not to, not to just try out their content and lineup optimizer for free this weekend. So again, all you got to do is go to dailyfanmma.com slash BFP and use the promo code 283 free. All the details are on that link in case you forget. And if you have any other questions, feel free to hit me up or hit up Brett Apley in the DMs on Twitter. So guys, there's no strings attached, no bullshit. Brett Apley is offering half the battle listeners two free events of his service just by using the promo code 283 free at dailyfanmma.com slash BFP. I cannot vouch for this man and his quality of work enough. So I highly recommend y'all take me up on that offer. And if you forget, all the info is in the description. So thank you again, Brett Apley and Daily Fan MMA. And I hope y'all get a lot out of it because I know you will. Now, co-main event of the evening. We got the quadrilogy for 
the UFC flyweight belt, we got the reigning, defending, undisputed UFC flyweight champion, Davison Daistugea Figueredo. He's 21-2-1, taking on Brandon, the assassin baby, Morena. Assassin baby, assassin adolescent, assassin grown-ass man. He's 26-2, and two, representing Mexico. He's the interim flyweight champion. And currently, they got it. Brandon Moreno, minus 120. Davison Figueredo, plus 100. So interesting. So Davison, an underdog in Brazil. So this is one of those fights where I don't feel the need to give a long breakdown for a reason being this is how much of a sample size do we have of these two fighting? I mean, we literally have over an hour of footage of these guys locked inside the octagon and all three times have been drastically different. Okay. I mean, we're talking about the first time, the first time I thought that Davison won four to one, but I mean, there was, you know, was it a fence grab or a low blow? I don't remember. He got docked a point, called it a draw. Next fight, Brandon Moreno mops the floor with Davison Figueredo. Next fight is a very close back and forth fight. You know, Davison landed three knockdowns that got him the fight. So what's interesting is one guy has a finish in the series. It's Brandon Moreno. And one guy's landed three knockdowns in the series. And that's uh, Davison Dice Dugea. Figueredo, which Dice Dugea means uh, God of War. So I don't really know because when you have an over an hour of footage of these guys and every single time is drastically different, like how am I supposed to sit here with confidence at minus, you know, 110 apiece, you know, plus 100, minus 120, whatever, at pick them odds. Like I don't feel like I have this big edge. You have an edge if you feel one side is going to dominate. But I can't sit here and look you guys in the eye with a straight face and say I know for sure that one fight is that one one side is gonna dominate. So I really don't know. So I mean, I'll on one hand you can say, well, Davison's in Brazil, but on the other hand, you can say, you know, Brandon Moreno has got nothing to lose coming into enemy territory. Uh both guys have changed camps. You know, Brandon Moreno not doing it with James Krause no more. I wonder why. You know, um, he actually went to coach Safe Sayuv with Fortis MMA. F amazing coach, the general, fucking badass. And Davison Figueredo, you know, he's not doing it at Fight Ready in Neuroforce One. He's doing it in Brazil. Um, and at first, I was kind of like, shit, he's not doing it at Neuroforce One. Because if you guys know, so Fight Ready is a great gym. But the thing about Fight Ready is that, if you do their strength and conditioning program, Neuroforce One, which a lot of their fighters don't do because it is very expensive, I must admit. Um, but those guys are on different levels when they go through the Neuroforce One strength and conditioning program. Just look at like Henry Cejudo when he was going through it, like and starching TJ Dillashaw in like 30 seconds and, you know, and taking Marlon Marais's soul and knocking out Dominic Cruz, like all the great things he did. Um, and then with Davison, that last fight against Moreno, when he did it at Neuroforce One, I heard he was out there breaking all the records. So he looked incredible. Now he still is doing strength and conditioning, and he looks in fantastic shape. I expect him to make weight. It's just that right now he's either right at his peak, being you know 35, 36 for flyweight. Like it's one thing to be 35, 36 for heavyweight, where you can go out there and win belts up until your 40s. I mean, look at Glover, light heavyweight at 43, right? But flyweight 
in the lower weight classes. Those are young man's games. So this is either going to be the, the finished product of Davis and Figueredo or, God forbid, maybe some kind of sign of decline. But if he still has it, man, I'm going to pick him to win. It's just I can't sit here and count out a guy like Brandon Moreno who's finished Davis and Figueredo before, who's been competitive in these other fights. This fight could go either way. I don't feel like I have an edge at the current odds. I felt like I had an edge last time when I bet Davison at plus 160. But here where I don't know what's going to happen and it's lying basically 50-50, I don't feel like I have an edge. So I'm going to pick Davison, but I can't sit here and act surprised if it goes the other way. Featured bout in the welterweight division, we got Gilbert Durino Burns. He's 20-5, and five, taking on Neil Magny, who's 27-9. and nine. Currently, they got it. Gilbert Durino, minus 460. The comeback on Neil Magny is plus 365. I mean, the way he's going to look, this minus 450 or whatever is, you know, the calf kicks, the big power shots, taking this guy down to the ground, showing off your jujitsu prowess, submitting him, getting him out of there, and going home. And that's a possibility. The only thing is that sometimes when when Neil Magny doesn't just get rammed through, he's got this way of getting guys to fight his style of fight where they go out there, they start clinching up with him. And because of that size that Magny has, you know, he's massive, has I think the second longest reach in, in, in the division's history. It used to be the longest, but then Phil Rowe came along, right? Um and guys just fatigue when they start to clinch up with, with Neil Magny. Like, I remember when I bet on Robbie Lawler uh, and Lijing Liang and Daniel Rodriguez to beat Neil Magny. And you know, these guys are known for banging. These guys are known for knocking people out. These guys are known for boxing people up. And they were out there trying to clinch with Neil Magny, and then they're gassing out two minutes later. It's just, it, people fight uncharacteristically when they go in there with Neil Magny. So I think if you got the early odds on Gilbert Durino, that's one thing. But at these odds, it's a dogger pass situation. But I'm going to go with Gilbert Durino. I still think he can make it look easy. It's just that if he's not able to get these takedowns, chop him down with calf kicks, or hurt him badly with big punches, and they stay, it becomes an ugly clinch fest, Gilbert's gassed in the past, and Magny just has a way of – I mean, Magny's got the most wins in welterweight history, more than George St. Pierre, which is crazy. Never thought I'd say that. So at these odds, dogger pass, pure pick, Gilbert Burns. Next up in the flyweight division, we got Jessica Andrade, the former champ. She's 23 and 9, taking on Lauren Murphy, who's 16 and 5. Currently, they got it another, you know, minus 470 to come back on. on you know, Lauren Murphy is plus 375. So another wide line, not really any value on Jessica. You know, I, I got to give. Lauren, a lot of credit. You know, she starts off her UFC career one and three and then makes it all the way to a title fight with Valentina Shevchenko. So, like, that's a, that's very inspiring, the fact that she overcame that adversity. She never gave up on herself, and she kept trucking forward and, you know, got to fight for a title, which is every fighter's dream, you know, in addition to winning the belt, right, which she didn't get to do, but still. Um, and now against Jessica Andrade, the thing about Andrade is one thing I've always talked about in the women's divisions is that not a lot of these ladies are known for that one punch knockout power. So, you know, when you bring that to the table, like Jessica does, plus the way she's able to pick these girls up, you know, walk them across the cage like Matt Hughes and slam them down, that physicality goes a long way. So she might not block, she, but she might block punches with her face. But when it's her turn to deliver, you know, these girls feel it. And I think Lauren Murphy's going to feel it Saturday night. So I'm going to go with Jessica Andrade to probably cover a price tag here. 
Now, next up in the light heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Paul Craig, <laughs> he's 16-5-1, taking on Johnny Walker, who's 19-7. and Currently, they got it. Johnny Walker, minus 190, the comeback on Paul Craig at plus 165. It's a tough one because it's like, dude, when Johnny Walker first came into the UFC, I thought he was the guy that was going to give John Jones a tough, a tough-ass fight because, like I was telling y'all, you know, this new generation of light heavyweights, like, John Jones isn't going to have those 10-inch reach advantages anymore, those 5-inch height advantage, those, he's not going to be much younger than everyone like he was, you know, when he was on his run. Because um, you got to understand, John Jones hasn't lost a fight ever, and he's been fighting for how long? You know what I'm saying? So he's like an anomaly. So I thought these up-and-coming these up and coming guys were going to challenge him, but then he, he left the division. Um and they kind of did challenge him. And Dominic Reyes at the time gave him a good fight. Granted, Dominic Reyes doesn't have the mental fortitude of John Jones, so he never came back the same ever again. But he gave him a good fight at the time. <sighs> Paul Craig, Johnny Walker. I don't know. Because Paul Craig, it's like, yeah, to call him a one-trick pony might be disrespectful because it's not just the triangle chokes. Like, this dude went out there and blast doubled Magomed and Khalif. He's tapped out. He, he's beat multiple guys in the top five. I mean, he he finished Magomed and Khalif. He finished Jamal Hill. Now, shout out to Hill, the only guy not to tap. Hill was willing to fight him with a broken arm, but, you know, the ref wasn't willing to let that happen. Also beat Nikita Krylov, beat Kennedy, finished all these guys. So, like, Paul Craig can finish the best of the best, but then he can also go out there and lose to Alonzo Menafield. He can also go out there and lose to Volkan Uzdemir and uh, Khalil Roundtree. So it's just, it's just about are you coming in here with the right strategy? Um, and I don't know if I can trust Johnny Walker, not to mention even on the feet where Johnny Walker has this big edge, Johnny Walker ain't known for exactly having the best chin in the world. So I'm curious to see if Paul Craig wants to test that. But ultimately I can see Paul Craig coming out here, pulling guard and submitting this guy, or I can see Johnny Walker, you know, playing it smart, kind of like Volcan did let this guy pull guard, make him get back up light him up on the feet, avoid any big shots, and go out there and possibly, you know, when you're up against the fence and he's trying to go for a double, you know, elbow him to the back of the head or to the side of the ear, to the temple, kind of like you did to Ryan Span. If the ref, you know, you're Brazilian, so maybe the ref will let you land a couple to the back of the head. Uh, you know, especially if the ref's name is like Guillermo or something, right? You know what I'm saying? But uh, Or Osiris Maya, you know what I'm saying, dog? Um I have no idea because I can't call a Paul Craig fight to save my life. And he, and Johnny Walker, you know, this, you know, early in his career, I was better at calling his fights and yeah, I don't know. I'll go Johnny Walker, but you know, I don't know, but this one I have interest in and this one I'm gonna get a lot of shit on, which is fine. I deserve it. Whatever. Next up also in the light heavyweight division, we got a matchup between, the Hall of Famer, the legend, the former Pride champion, the former UFC champion, my childhood hero, Mauricio Shogun, who uh, he's 27 and 13 and one, taking on Ihor Potieria, who's 18 and three. Currently, they got it. Ihor Potieria, minus 210, the comeback on Mauricio Shogun is plus 175. I mean, <laughs> so i know that shogun's on his way out and i know that there's a chance he 
might just get wobbled by a jab or, you know, this or that, you know, gust of the wind, he does the chicken dance. You throw a paper ball at his chin, he might go unconscious. But, like, man, Shogun is so much better than this guy. It's just, excuse me, it's just that, you know, Shogun's 41. Shogun, this is his retirement fight. He's getting up there in age. But, like, this kid, Ihor, I mean, prior to Contender Series, he went in there with a five foot nine heavyweight, like five foot nine heavyweight. Like we see guys that are flyweights that are five foot nine. He went in there with this short, fat heavyweight, and like that dude dropped Ehor, and then Ehor caught him with a triangle. It's like he's getting dropped by nobodies. The contender series fight wasn't that impressive. And then he goes out there in his debut against Nikolai Nigumriano, and he broke in a way where literally his back is facing his opponent and he's running away. So I get him being favored just because he's 15 years younger and Shogun's you know on his way out, but like Shogun's better than this guy. And you know, Shogun made a mark on the sport. This kid is not gonna make any mark on this sport. This kid probably won't even be in the UFC this time next year. So yeah, it's scary to bet on this form of Shogun. And you know, if he gets wobbled by a jab, if the first punch knocks him out. You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna see me go on Twitter and write a paragraph about how, you know, oh the ref early stoppage or or variance or uh, whatever other bullshit these guys are saying. I mean, I, I'd have no one to blame but myself if I bet Shogun here and lost. It's just that you're giving Shogun an zero and one guy in his retirement fight in Brazil, and the zero and one guy is. I mean, I really don't like being disrespectful, but just to be frank, is a bum with a padded record. Yes, he's aggressive, and yes, he can knock out Shogun. Yes, he's younger, might be a little faster, but, like, I know Shogun's got some tricks up his sleeve, man, and honestly, I want to bet him here. I really do. Um, take the Listen, if I got to take an L here, I'll take it like a man, but this is probably one of the last times you're going to get plus 175, plus 180 odds against you know, a very low-level fighter like Ihor, who I really don't, I really don't understand. Like, again, I, I'm trying to say this as respectful as possible, but I'm not sure what he really brings to the table besides, you know, he's crushed a couple cans, and as soon as he got a step up in competition, he looked terrible. And when he was crushing those cans, he was getting dropped by those cans. Um, yeah. I'm going to go with Mauricio Shogun Hua to come out here one last time. Please let this be your last fight, dude. Let's go out there. Let's knock this young kid out. Have your beautiful moment in Brazil. Jump into the crowd. Let them carry you on his shoulder. Uh, let them carry you on their shoulders. And, you know, let's have a legendary send off for, for one of the all time greats, the Hall of Famer. You know, I mean, the fights Mauricio has given us. And, I just I just don't know what else to say here, man. Like, I understand that when you get to this point in your career, when you're in your 40s, that's when you start losing to guys that you normally wouldn't lose to. It's just, this is like, this is such a step down in competition, man. I mean, look at the guys Mauricio's been fighting, man. I mean, like, Paul Craig, who's got multiple wins over top five guys. Ovin St. Preux got the second most submissions in the history of the division. Anthony Smith, title challenger, like Dan Henderson, Hall of Fame. Like, it's just, 
it's just a different level of competition. Jonathan Reynolds says Ehor is much better than you think. Maybe. Is he though? Is he though? Is he much better than I think? I mean, if he is, like, I've never been one to again. If Shogun gets knocked out in the first exchange, I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna come out here and be like, oh my god, what an old bum and blah blah blah. I would just give credit to Ehor. My dude says you had a tough matchup in his debut. Yeah, but it's not just about the fact that he had a tough matchup. It's the fact that he was doing things that are red flags. He was turning his back to his opponent and running away and early in the fight, man. And he got mentally broken. He's never truly been pushed. And the one time he got pushed, he broke. And he's getting dropped by cans on the regional scene. So I think it's more than just what we saw in his debut. I there hasn't been anything that's impressed me about Ihor. It's just that we gotta un accept the fact that he's, you know, 15 years younger, and that might be enough to beat Shogun. But I think Shogun might have one last trick and one last ace up his sleeve for this kid. At least that's what I'm hoping for. And at these odds, I might be willing to take the chance. I haven't yet. I've bet, you know, three things so far on this car, and this might be my fourth. And you know, it's an idiot or genius spot. You know, if I lose, I look like a complete moron. How could you bet on someone on their retirement fight or in their current form? I get it. And if I win, then I was right that, you know, this dude, Ihor, I hate saying UFC fighters suck, but for UFC caliber standards, this guy does not belong. So my boy Andy says, I was there live, Dan. I can back you on this. Dude broke 50 feet in front of me. Yeah, I mean, he did. Um, but anyways, I got Mauricio Shogun Hua to knock this kid out. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Gregory Hobokop Rodriguez. He's 13-4, taking on Bruno Ferreira, who is 9-0. Currently, they got it. Gregory Hobokop, minus 305. The comeback on Bruno Ferreira is plus 255. So, yeah, like, obviously, Robocop should be favored. The experience, you know you guys know him a lot better. Um He's kind of, you know, heading towards the top 15. But this kid, Bruno Ferreira, can bang, you know, a lot of knockouts on his record, you know, just a ball of muscle, a guy that's going to come out there and throw down. And the thing about Gregory is he's got a lot of tools, but he doesn't always use all his tools. Like in that fight he had against that 6 and one kickboxer, Armin, like who cares who you scored that fight for? The, the fact is he could have made that a lot easier on himself than he did. Um, you know, we talk about his jujitsu. He never uses it. You know, he likes to come out here and bang with everyone, which as a fan, you love to see, but Bruno can bang too. So that's why I'm not confident laying minus three something on Gregory in this spot. I think it's a letdown spot. I think he was super excited to go out there and, you know, have that fight, um, against his original opponent, Brad Tavares, which was actually going to move him up the rankings. Whereas now this is a bit of a letdown spot. Um, and based on how they fight, these two are going to stand and trade in the center of the octagon until one man goes down. And in these fights, like Gregory did get stopped by Jordan Williams. Um, you guys know, I feel Jordan Williams is a different man at 85s than at seventies, but still he's been stopped before he's been dropped in other fights. And even in that last fight against Chidi, amazing comeback. I mean, goddamn, the dude dug deep, but y'all saw that fucking cut he had and y'all saw him getting hurt early on. So I'm just saying. Like, this dude is not impervious to being knocked out. And in a fight like this where you got two guys that are going to just 
draw a line in the sand, act like they're double parked in front of a fire hydrant and the cops are on the way, someone's going to hit the deck. So I'm going to pick Gregory, but I don't find any value at these odds. And for that reason, I'm passing. Now, next, now this one, similarly line, I do have a bet on because next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Tiago Moises. He's 16 and six, taking on, um, the fuck is Costa's first name? Melquizael. Melquizael? Let's just call him Miguel. <laughs> he's taking on Melquizael Costa, who's 19 and 5. Um, he's got the the Scott Jorgensen thing going on, which respect, man. You know, respect to make it to the UFC with that. And Scott Jorgensen, legend of the sport. Um, I bet on Tiago Moises here at minus 300. I bet it to win one unit. Um, now I see him upwards of minus 380 minus 480 you know so i did my part as far as i'm concerned uh beating the line getting the best of the line which is ultimately what i care about as a sports better um chiago moises is a guy that he's defensively sound he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu he's heavily muscled he's in great shape beat great competition i mean beat bobby green beat michael john finish michael johnson um and then, you know, had a couple setbacks against real guys like Islam Makachev. Even took down Islam Makachev, which you don't often see. Was reversed shortly after, but still, to even get a takedown on him, like bragging rights. Um, you know, the Joel Alvarez fight went how it went. But the reason I ranked Tiago Moises ahead of Joel Alvarez is because when Joel Alvarez had his biggest wins at 55, so he missed weight for them. You know, so he's never truly won a big fight at 55 by making weight. He's missed weight for all of them. Um, but the reason I took Tiago Moises in the spot is I was not impressed with Costa at all. For a guy who is as experienced as Miguel Costa is, like, the dude was out here, like, there was this one fight where he's spinning back, kicked this dude in the body, hurt him badly. And the the finishing instincts and just IQ to materialize the finish wasn't quite there. And that was a big red flag, especially with someone with the experience level of costa and then i saw another fight recently where he got out grappled by a nobody uh no disrespect um so i think this is a spot where tiago moises can come out here cruise a little bit and you know show him that there's levels to this shit so i took moises minus 300 play to win one unit and yeah um let's get it tiago so Next up in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Gabriel Bonfim. He's 13-0, taking on Munir Lazez, who is 11-2. Currently, they got it, Gabriel Bonfim, minus 180. The comeback on Munir Lazez is plus 155. Good fight. Uh, I think that this is the better Bonfim brother. Um, you know, and he's gotten a lot. He's, he's made a lot of improvements in his recent fights. You know, as a guy that fights behind his jab, he's ultra aggressive. He's going to go forward the entire time. And in his contender series fight, he was fighting this dude who was like 6'4", 6'5", and he shot for a takedown. And that, uh, you know, the big boy got him in, you know, one of those power guillotines, like the long man guillotines that I don't see guys often escape, you know, guillotines from dudes that are like 6'4", 6'5", especially when they transition to that power guillotine. And the way that Gabriel was able to pass guard to the opposite side and then turn it into a Von Flu choke, like that was some advanced shit. And that was also beautiful and perfect timing because one second too late, 
he's getting tapped out with that with that long man guillotine with that power guillotine so the fact that he escaped that against a six foot four guy is one is one accomplishment on it on on its own but to turn it into a von flu choke hey kid that was beautiful i've also seen some other nice submissions from him um i guess my issue is that sometimes in how aggressive he is he leaves a lot of openings and a guy like munir lazez very by the book kickboxer establishes his jab left hooks to the body beautiful roundhouse kicks he can spin when he has to as well he's getting better about getting back up to his feet when he gets taken down my only issue with munir is i think if you truly put the pressure on him that i think um you know he can maybe wilt a little bit mentally but technically speaking munir is is beautiful to watch so if this is kind of like a kickboxing match and you know whose technique is better and you know you throw a combo i throw a combo i think munir can win that fight but if gabriel wants to say you know fuck who's got you know better dutch you know combo drills and you know, fuck who spent more time in Thailand and this and that. Like, let's just get down and dirty. Let's get let's get in this guy's face. Let's eliminate the kicking range and let's make him bite down on his mouthpiece and truly fight. And if Gabriel can make it that kind of fight, I think he can win. But if it's a technical kickboxing match, then there then there is value on, on the underdog. So you got to determine: Do you want to take the shot on Munir to kind of test? where gabrielle's at right now i think that's fair because i'm not betting gabrielle at these odds but the reason i do kind of lean gabrielle is just because i think he's the tougher guy and if he fights his fight and goes out there and really pushes the pace on munir i think he i think he's got something for him it's just that if he doesn't push the pace on him and they have you know a nice little technical kickboxing match i got munir in that kind of fight so my pick is going to be gabrielle bonfim now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got Jailton Mahaldino Almeida. He's 17 and 2, taking on Shamil Abdurakimov, who is 20 and 7. And currently, they got a Jailton Almeida minus 900. The comeback on Shamil Abdurakimov is plus 625. So, um, we were having debates on a Clint show the other day about what, you know, Jailton Almeida's nickname stands for because I wasn't sure. So I uh, I went to jujitsu class today and I asked my professor, um, but I wasn't pronouncing the name right, so he wasn't sure. So I so I, I messaged him on Instagram and I was like, "Hey, the nickname I was asking you about is Malhadinho." So he responded, um, "It means someone that's toned because they work out a lot, like lean and mean and shredded. So that's what uh, Jailton Almeida's nickname, Mahaldino, stands for, and uh, it's very fitting. <laughs> and, and basically, you know, all respect to Shamil Abdurakimov, you know, tough Russian guys, paid his dues, been in there. He knocked out uh, Marcin Taibura, beat Arlovsky. Like, he's, he's done some cool things. It's just that, like, even if you go back to his debut, against Tim Johnson, where he got ground and pound TKO'd in the first round, to now his current form in his 40s, where he's getting finished in multiple fights. I mean, I think this is going to be a situation where Jailton Almeida just comes out here, takes him down one time, and the fight's going to be over shortly after, whether it's a rear naked choke, whether it's an arm triangle, whether it's a ground and pound TKO. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the minus 900 favorites 
most likely covering that price tag here. And he's someone to look out for at heavyweight and light heavyweight. You know, interestingly enough, Jamal Hill got offered the Jailton Almeida fight um, on this card. But but then they also offered him Glover. So what do you think he's going to take? Am I going to take this dangerous ass, just ridiculous Brazilian Jailton Almeida that no one knows about on the undercard? Or am I going to fight an all-time great Glover Teixeira for the title? Same card in the main event um, for probably like infinitely more money. Um, yeah, I think Jamal made the right call taking the Glover fight instead. But with that being said, I got Jailton Almeida via first-round finish. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Terrence McKinney. He's 13 and four, taking on Ismael Bonfim. He's 18 and three, and he's the brother of Gabriel Bonfim. Currently, they got it. Terrence McKinney minus 125. The comeback on Ismael Bonfim is plus 105. So, you know, Ismael's an interesting cat. I kind of got to see how he performs in the UFC. Reason being is I have certain questions about, you know, is Ismael. Does he have the right size for this weight class? Like, is this a dude that could possibly drop to 45s one day? Which, interestingly enough, uh, Terrence is a former 45er, which I can't believe because that dude's fucking huge for 55. And Terrence is a physical specimen, man. And I'm very impressed with Terrence. You just need to, you know, just kind of tone things down a little bit, show a little more composure, a little more maturity. And I think he is a force to be reckoned with. I mean, only man in UFC history to drop uh, Drew Dober has the fastest knockout in the history of the division. He's got wrestling, can take people down, can choke people out in the first round. Like, I like everything about him. I just don't like the fact that he redlines. I don't like the fact that, you know, if he's driving his car on the highway, he's going 100 miles per hour the whole time. You know, therefore, he's going to run out of gas a lot quicker than someone that's going 60 miles per hour. So if I knew for a fact that, if I knew for a fact that, uh, you know, that Terrence was going to pace himself and he was going to fight, at, you know, like, let's like, let's come out here and like be smart. Like, let's not just go out here, balls to the wall, kill or be killed. Like, if, uh, if you can't get him out of there in the first couple of minutes, then, you know, you're just ready to go home. I mean, in that scenario, I think Bonfim can take over, but I think the physicality difference early on is going to be huge, and I think there is a chance Terrence can get, get him out of there early. Uh, Bonfim has been finished in the first round before. Now, granted, it was a long time ago. It was against, you know, Renato Moicano in 2014. It was, you know, against the kid that knocked out DJ in, you know, in Asia. Um, but hold on a second. Okay, is this dude talking? Is this does this dude need the cone uh, on his head, telling me I got mic issues, or, or is it really true? Y'all let me know. Um, but basically, it comes down to Terrence McKinney's approach. Like, if he really just redlines, just tries to empty the clip in the first two minutes and has nothing left, and yeah, Ismail Bonfim can take over. You know, just like his brother sets up that jab. You know, decent boxing for MMA standards, experience. But if Terrence can fight smart here. He's way too physical for this guy. He's way too powerful for this guy. Um, and I think that I think he might be able to do his front running performance and get that first round finish. But man, if you can show me composure, if you can show me maturity, I think that Terrence can win extended fights. It's just that since we haven't seen it yet, you can't count on it. But like at some point, like you'd hope this kid would learn his lesson. So 
I'm going to pick Terrence McKinney, but the reason I can't bet it is because when he comes out here and pulls another stunt, you got no one to blame but yourself. So pick is Terrence McKinney, but it's a pass. But speaking of stunt pullers, because I got to bet on this next fight on a stunt puller. In the welterweight division, we got Warley Alves. He's 14-5, taking on Nicholas Dalby, who's 20-4. and four. Currently, they got it. Warley Alves, minus 125. The comeback on Nicholas Dalby is plus 105. So I bet on Warley Alves here. I put two units on him at plus 125. Currently, he's minus 125. So already, as a betting man, I did my job. Beat the line by a mile. And if you do that nine out of ten times, you will be on the right side of the coin. So even if... Worley pulls an absolute stunt. You know, obviously, I'd love to win every single bet. Who wouldn't? But since you know that that's kind of impossible, you got to do certain things that'll put the odds in your favor. And I think beating the line by a mile and consistently being the closing line are some of those things that are going to give you an edge. You know, when you look at a big sample size, which is what I have and which is what I'll continue to have. Um, so the reason I took Worley Alvis here at plus 125. So you can call Warley Alves hit or miss, and officially he is hit or miss. He is a 50-50 fighter, but which kind of guys beat him and which kind of guys does he beat? So you look at his last fight against Jeremiah Wells. I mean, Jeremiah Wells, faster, more explosive, harder hitter, just operates on a different frequency than, than Warley. I mean, is Nick Dalby fast, explosive, and powerful like Jeremiah Wells? No, he's not. The last loss. Before that, Randy Brown, where Worley was doing pretty good up until the loss, but it's like, is does Dalby have the physical attributes of a Randy Brown? Is is Dalby on his way up to the top fifteen like Randy Brown? No, but then in between, then in between uh, those fights, you know, Worley ran over Munir Lazes, who was a step down in competition, and I think Nick Dalby's a step down in competition. Like if I had to create the, the perfect guy for Worley Alves to beat. You know, here are some of the qualities I need. I need someone who's getting up there in age. Well, Nick Dalby's 38 years old. I need someone who consistently gets hurt badly early on in fights. And, I mean, how many times have we seen Nick Dalby get dropped in the first round by Darren Till, get dropped in the first round by Pete Sabata, get badly hurt by Zach Cummings, get fin- be the only man in UFC history to get finished by uh, Jesse Ronson like he did in the first round. So, Bonnie, get up on the couch. Get up on the couch. Um, So, right away, there's that. And then there's also, I need someone with shitty takedown defense. Nick Dalby, you saw Claudio Silva taking him down at will. I need someone who's a bit on the slower side. Nick Dalby fits that bill. So, this just sounds to me like the exact opponent where Worley Alves can do his front running, where Worley Alves can go out there and get that first-round guillotine, get that first-round knockout. Uh, the only thing is, what's interesting about Dalby is back in his day, he's got some really good wins. I mean, he beat Zaleski in Brazil, by the way. Beat Daniel Rodriguez, controversial or not. Beat Alex Cowboy, also controversial if you talk about that third-round stand-up the ref gave him, but whatever. Um, but then he'll also be the only man to get finished by Jesse Ronson. You can bring up steroids all you want. I don't think any version of Jesse Ronson is beating Worley Alves in a fight, steroids or not. Not to bring up MMA math, but I'm just saying um, Dalby has a history of being hurt badly in fights and having to come back. So worst case scenario, we win the first two rounds, hang on for that third round, and you win a decision in Brazil or 
are, but like, let's not act like Worley's first round or bust. Like, I've seen Worley go out there, finish guys in the third round. I've seen him go out there, win decisions. Like, remember how he handled Sergio Marais, who's also kind of an aging fighter, like where Nick Dalby is right now. So I just think he's catching Nick Dalby at the right time. Not to mention, I got it plus 125, and he's currently minus 125. So I beat that line. Um, so yeah, I think Worley Alves is going to come out here. You can front run against this guy. Let's go out. Let's let, let let's come out here and get this guy out of here. And then next fight we can talk about fading Worley Alves again. But this is a good spot for him, in my humble opinion. And uh, I took him as a result. So I bet him at plus one twenty five. Uh, I put two units on it. Now next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Josiane Nuna. She's nine and one, taking on Zara Fern, who is six and four. Currently, they got it. Josie Ann Nunez minus 500. The comeback on Zara Fern is plus 400. So Josie Ann you know, is very short, five foot two, kind of like a John Lineker type type style. Um, just swings big bombs. And Zara Fern, you know, been finished in the first round in both her UFC fights by cans. I mean, she got finished in the first round by Megan Anderson. Like, you know, I know Jeff Molina is under investigation, but prior to that, he had a big win. Did you see him absolutely bury Megan Anderson? And that's not the first time she's been buried. And it might even uh, it might even be a credence to what uh, what's that kid's name to what um, Casey uh, Casey Kenny said about <laughs> you remember what Casey Kenny said that shit about Megan Anderson and everyone thought he was being so rude and it was a little bit out of line, but the more time goes by, the more I'm thinking like maybe he was right because like the fact that Megan Anderson said that shit about Laura Sanko like dude like. Even if you're beefing with someone, there's a way to go about things and you don't air people's dirty laundry. Like you can, you know, go at it head to head, like between her behind closed doors, say what you got to say. But to publicly air someone's dirty laundry, that's absolutely none of your business. I mean, it just goes hand in hand. You guys remember the meme or, you know, the clip of Megan Anderson walking to the walking uh, into the arena when she was getting ready to face a. Megan, uh, Amanda Nunes, and her face is completely pale and looks like she's getting ready to walk into her death. Like, yeah, I, uh, I don't know how I got off on this tangent. Oh, I did because these are the kind of people that are finishing Zara Fern. So, yeah, well, I'm not really necessarily interested in laying minus 500, minus 650. I ain't taking no shot on Zara Fern. I think Josie Ann Nunes comes out here and starches this young lady. So, give me Josie Ann Nunes. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Luan Lacerda. He's 12 and 1, taking on Cody Stamen, who is 25 and 1. Currently, they got it. Cody Stamen, minus 365. The comeback on Luan Lacerda, plus 300. So, at these odds, it's a dogger pass situation. At kind of the more opening odds, it was favored to pass. I'm still going to pick Cody Stamen, but look, I respect this kid, Luan. I mean, he's got disgusting jujitsu, and even in his loss to Ari Farias, I don't know if you all saw his fight with John Sweeney, Ari Farias has nasty jujitsu, man. So to lose to him back in 2014, not a big deal. But Luan Lacerda, I mean, you know he's beat guys that are currently in the UFC, like such as my boy Holly and Paiva. I mean, he went out there, and he uh, anaconda choked Holly and Paiva back in – what 2016 2015 so like he's been beating real guys for a while it's just the way they match up stylistically cody stamen might not be the most exciting guy but he does exactly what he needs to do to win fights right like he's not going to come out here and finish any fights unless it's like you know 
80 year old Eddie Wyland, you know, much respect to the former WEC Bantamweight champion, you know, true legend. But Cody Stamen is just the kind of guy that, you know, it might, the output might be kind of on the lower side, but he knows how to get that opportunistic takedown to steal rounds. But he's also the, the kind of guy when he's fighting an opponent like this, might use the wrestling in reverse, keep it standing, and kickbox at his own pace, get it to the point where Luan starts to fatigue, starts to pull guard, starts to flop to his back, and then Cody gets up and tells him, nah, like, get back up, let's kickbox. So I'm going to go with Cody Stammen. It's just, you know, you got to at, at these odds, you have to respect the jiu-jitsu of Lacerda, and if you submit Stammen, who's been submitted before, not going to be a shocker, but... um. I'm going Cody Stamen to neutralize him and to come out here and win a unanimous decision. Now, last but not least, kicking off the card, we got a great fight between Peru's Dan- Daniel Marcos. He's 13-0, taking on Brazil's Simone Oliveira. And currently, they got it. Simone Oliveira, minus 150. The comeback on Daniel Marcos is plus 130. So shout out to everyone that took the dog odds on uh Simon Oliveira, back when that was out, um, you know, great job. You bet him plus one fifty five, and now he's minus one fifty five. Like you did your job. Now I think it's a dogger pass situation on the other side. Um, what I like about Daniel, uh, excuse me, what I like about Simon Mark, uh, fuck, I keep fucking up their names. What I like the most about Simon Oliveira, he's got a disgusting guillotine choke, and I'm a sucker for that guillotine choke, man. I mean, especially if you got a good one. Um, you know, we're gonna have to do a drinking game every time. You know, I say back in the day it used to be one dozen simply and this and that. But one thing I've been talking a lot about, people are like, next time Daniel mentions he's a purple belt, take a shot. As a purple belt and someone who just fucking loves the guillotine choke, um, you know, this guy is going to actually come out here and win a couple fights via guillotine. Maybe not at the highest level, but I think when it's all said and done, he'll have a couple guillotine wins under his record because that guillotine is nasty. And Simon Oliveira goes for it. That fight he had on Contender Series against Jose Alde. Not Jose Aldo, but Jose Alde. They were uh, they were doing what we like to refer to in Atlanta as hooking. They were standing and banging for three straight rounds, and they were, they were landing some shots, man. That was a beautiful fight. The kid is very experienced, and I think he's ready for the UFC. Um, and I think he's going to go for it for real. And with Daniel Marcos, what I like about him is that when you, when you often think about the fighters from Peru, you think about guys that have no takedown defense that you know, they'll be losing fights, but then they'll like get an opportunistic submission. Whereas Daniel Marcos has good takedown defense, very hard kicker. And when he gets guys hurt, he's got a lot of swag. He's not afraid to go out there, take some chances to finish the fight. And to take it a step further, his fight on contender series was coming off a three-year layoff, and he gassed out, and he pushed through it. So guys got hard. I actually think Daniel Marcos could be a guy that, you know, actually goes out and when it's all said and done, ends up being one of the best fighters that we've ever seen from Peru. Um, You know, Peru needs a guy to wave the flag. I don't think it's going to be Claudio Puelas. I think it could be Daniel Marcos. But on Saturday night, I think Simon Oliveira gets his first UFC win, but moving forward, um, keep an eye on both guys, and there will be a good time to bet both these guys. But don't give up on Daniel Marcos if he loses this fight. I think he, I think he's got a bright future. But my pick is Simon Oliveira. All right, so I'm going to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch, and then after that, I'm um, down to answer a couple of questions, and then I'll get out of here. So right now, you know, last call for questions. You know, give them to me now. 
while I talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch, and then we'll take it from there. So, in my opinion, the fight to watch for UFC 283. Shit. Man, there's a lot of fights to watch, man. I mean, like, normally I don't like being the guy that's like, okay, the main event's the fight to watch, but, like, the main event truly is the fight to watch. Like, this is one of those cards where, like, Every, there's a lot of good fights, but if I could only watch one fight on this entire card, it would be the main event. And I don't want people to be like, well, you know, that's so easy for you to say. Because, I mean, like, like last week with Strickland and Imavov, if you had to ask me which is one fight that I have to watch, I don't think it would have been the main event. But here, I mean, come on, Glover versus Jamal Hill. Jamal Hill, a guy I've been saying for years is going to fight for a title, taking on just a Hall of Fame or someone that's so beloved. And then the, sty the stylistically, Glover having the most submissions in the history of the division. Jamal Hill, you know, having the Francis and Ganu one hitter quitter, but then having the output of a little guy like, and he gets back up from the takedowns and he's got the confidence. And Glover just seems like he can't be stopped right now. Like, this main event is. I know we're only two events deep into 2023. This is the best fight of the year so far. You know, this is this is appointment television. This is like, you know, for all you streamers out there, like we should we should lay the 80 bucks just to watch this fight alone. Hint, hint, wink, wink. But all bullshit aside, Jamal Hill versus Glover Teixeira is my fight to watch. My fighter to watch. Hmm, this is a tough one. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the legend Mauricio Shogun, who, or as we like to say in Brazil, Mauricio Shogun, because this is his retirement fight. He's got probably the lowest level opponent he's ever fought in the UFC, and at his ripe age of 41, let's see if he's got enough to, you know, show this young kid the ropes and show him that, like, hey, I might be out. I might be on my way out the game but I can still show you a thing or two about competing in a hostile environment like you're going to feel here in Brazil when they're screaming, Uva Moer, which means you're going to die. And I'm not sure if Ihor is ready for this kind of environment. So for that reason, Mauricio Shogun, who uh, one of the all-time great knockout artists, is my fighter to watch. All right, y'all. So I'm down to answer a couple fan questions, and after that, I'm going to get out of here. I truly am grateful for everybody joining me. And then also just remember um, to check out today's sponsor of the show, dailyfanmma.com slash BFP and use my code 283free to get Brett Apley's premium package for free. For, you don't have to pay shit for free for this event and the next. Like that's how confident he is that you're going to get something out of what he brings to the table. Um that's why we're giving this out for free. So no strings attached, no bullshit. It's not like you're going to get these first two events free and then it's going to automatically, you know, charge you like 300 bucks and you're going to, you know, there's no bullshit. Like you literally dailyfanmma.com slash BFP, use the code 283 free, get his events free. If you like it, consider signing up. If you don't like it, tell him thanks for those events and move on. But I, I have a feeling you'll, you'll get a lot out of it. Um, that's the kind of quality Brett Apley brings to the table. But let's answer some fan questions now before I get out of here. Um, Holloway said he loves my show, looks forward to my picks. Thank you very much, my friend. Abu Dhabi said Jamal Hill, 205 champ. You already know, my man. We got 
sigh in here. Good morning. 6 a.m. in Melbourne, Melbourne, Australia. You know, my sister lives in Australia, so I know it's not Melbourne, it's Melbourne. So, you know, we know what's up over here. So it's good to have you here, say thank you, man. We got my boy Dimitar just on time. Glad to have you glad to have you here just on time, my boy. Um let's see what else we got. Dan Goldstein. This fight. Ain't going to a crusty ass draw. I can guarantee that. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um, then we got my boy Robert. Hello from Poland. Hey, that's fucking awesome. Let's say, let me see something. Hello in Polish. Uh, hello in Polish. Uh, let me see. Witam, witam, my boy. Witam. Thank you very much, bro. Bro picks. What's up, buddy? Um, Let's see what else y'all got for me. Oh, yeah. Slim said, what happened to the vids on my channel? Like I said, so on YouTube, they change things out. So instead of clicking videos, click live. And then you can see all, all my live videos on there. Um, Dirty Reg said, Glover for the win. You know, that's how a lot of people are feeling. My boy, Pepe. What's up, buddy? You know, I love that name. If y'all don't know that name, it's because uh, you never watched my cousin Vinny, but he said Glover will have another dream, a sweet dream. And you know what? We got to lift this guy's spirit up if he doesn't get the belt. And, you know, we give him the proper send off like the legend he is. We put him in the Hall of Fame and we praise this man. And we got, you know, it's just business at the end of the day. That's it. Um, let's see. Dirty Rex said Glover with that top control will be too much for hill we have never seen glover one punch knocked out and we have seen him hit with the kitchen sink dirty reg did you just say we have never seen glover one punch knocked out so i must have been dreaming when anthony rumble johnson one punch knocked him out i must have been dreaming when alexander gustafson one punch knocked him out so probably gotta rethink that my guy um Frank says, brain says Hill, gut says Glover. Well, from now on, I want you to track your, you know, from now on, let's get in a hundred fight sample size. Let's see what your brain says and let's see what your gut says. And at the end, tell me which one's more correct. Um, let's see. <laughs> Dan said, I've got to go to the gym. We'll watch later. Hopefully, we'll get a little Megan Anderson slander at some point. I appreciate that. Hey, everybody hit the like button and hit the subscribe button. I truly appreciate that. And then after this video is over, uh, leave me a comment. I, you know, that means a lot to me when you guys do that. So thank you very much. Um, Andy said, great pod with Clint the other day. Thanks, man. I'm glad you were able to check that out. I had a lot of fun uh, doing that. Valerie said, hey, Dan, what do you do for your main hustle? I don't know about main hustle, but there's a lot of hustles. I'm a, I don't know if jack of all trades is the right way to, to describe it, but like it's important to have multiple streams of income, man. You can't just rely on one thing. So whether it's the podcast, whether it's the real estate, the sponsorships, the, you know, teaching kids jujitsu classes, like whatever, like you got to do what you got to do. Um, to, to put food on the table and to provide and give back. And yeah, so there, there's a lot of things I do. Um, let's see. Jake's asking me, what are my thoughts on the money coming in on Moreno? Yeah, I mean, Moreno's a fucking awesome fighter. So I understand why people 
you know, are betting either side. You know, they're both such studs. So, uh, Dirty Reg said, Legends go out on stretchers. True, but like legends usually don't fight 0-1 guys in their retirement fights. They usually like fight like like Frankie Edgar fought Chris Gutierrez, who was like on an eight-fight win streak, who was going to the top 15. Ihor Potreria is not going anywhere near the top 15. Um let's see. Cheese slaps at Bruno got balls taking the Robocop fight. Fuck yeah, he does. And Robocop's got balls taking the fight too, because uh, he's got a lot to lose. Um, let's see. Doughboy, what's up, Doughboy? He said Alves is a solid dog. Um, bet he says Lazez at dog odds, Colby at dog odds, and he loses as the favorite. History works in your favor. Interesting. Hopefully, I'd love for history to work in my favor. Dirty Regs, a great show. Thank you. I'm a, I appreciate that. All right, three questions from Taylor. He said. Uh, are we all going to hammer Fiziev at plus 160? Firstly, where the fuck is Fiziev plus 160? I highly doubt Fiziev is plus 160. Two, he said, what round does Amanda finish Aldana? I don't know. Three, how do you like Yan versus Marab? I love Yan versus Marab. Just need to see some odds and need to confirm it's five rounds. Um, how do I line it? I don't know. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I think that's it. So, okay, last call for questions. If not, I'm getting out of here. I'm truly, truly grateful for all you guys being here, showing me support, showing me love. And let's, you know, let's win this weekend, man. Let's have a good time. Enjoy some. This is really a good fight, a really good car that I'm just, you know, very ecstatic for, man. I mean, like Glover versus Hill. Yeah, I uh, I can't wait. The rest of the fights are good, but that main event, that's a that's a special main event so man i'm excited for that and that's all i gotta say so guys thank you so much for all your support you've shown me you can follow me um on twitter at best fight picks oh oh yeah one announcement so obviously i already talked about how you know the daily fan mma.com slash bfp use the code 283 free get brett apley's premium package for free for the next two events no strings attached all the info is in the description Make sure you take advantage of that. Now, this Sunday, so you you all know how Saturday is the flyweight title fight between you know Davison Figueredo and Brandon Moreno, the quadrilogy. So I've been teasing for a while that I want to do a Twitter space, right? But there's a lot of Twitter spaces that kind of do the same thing. They kind of just break down fights like we break them down, which is cool, awesome. Um, but I already break down the fights here, so I don't need to do it somewhere else. Um, so what I was thinking was this. I think that the flyweight division is one of the most underrated divisions in the sport and just in terms of excitement, in terms of technique. And I think that these guys don't, you know, ha have the light on them like they should. And I kind of want to bridge the gap between the fans and the fighters. So what I'm doing uh, this Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern time, the day after the Davison and Brandon fight, is I'm going to do a Twitter spaces and I'm going to get, you know, a few badass flyweights to join me. And, you know, we're going to try to, you know, set up some fights between them. We're going to get them talking shit. And then afterwards, we're going to let the fans come on there and interact with the fighters, ask them questions, you know, just be respectful. Um, we're going to have Tim Elliott. We're going to have Cody Durden. We're going to have Ode Osborne. We're going to have Nate Manis. 
we're working on a couple others. Hopefully we can get Mokayev in there. And Mokayev and Durden are like good friends. So you don't have to worry about anything being awkward there. But like, you know, if I have Tim Elliott on and it's your turn to ask a question, you know, don't don't be that dick that's like, oh <laughs> that's like asking him about James Krause. And you know, if one of the guys coming off a knockout loss, don't be like, What was it like getting knocked out? I like, don't like don't be a dick, but um, I do want to bridge the gap and have the fans come out here and ask these flyweight fighters questions and interact with them and just bridge the gap and you know let, let the fans and, and and the fighters interact and i think that would be really cool so that's going to go down sunday at 7 p.m eastern time just look out for my tweet to finalize those details so thank you guys again for all your support all your love truly grateful hit the like button hit the subscribe button share comment retweet all those things you do go a long way to help the show grow and Thank you again. So I'll see you guys very soon. Good luck this weekend. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.